This is an ABC podcast. Lock the doors. We would expect to see some rather concerning numbers for a while. I will continue to stand up for these regions that I know and love. We know how important it is for the parliament to meet. Isolation, testing. Being bored is much better than being in intensive care. Hello and welcome to The Party Room. I'm Patricia Carvellis, the host of RN Drive, fresh from the Victorian bubble. Oh, PK, I'm Frank Kelly from RN Breakfast and my life is just fun in comparison. <laughs> PK, PK last week we talked about a break in the national unity around this pandemic in the wake of the Victorian outbreak and that's really only been on show more and more in a very public spat really between the Federal Government and the Victorian Premier Dan Andrews over this question about why Victoria used private security guards in its ill-fated hotel quarantine program and not the Australian Defence Forces on offer. There's this state-based parliamentary inquiry going on at the moment. Our guest this morning is all over it, Raf Epstein. He's the host of ABC Melbourne Drive down there with you. He's going to be along later. But before we get to that, PK, millions of Australians, including you, remain under lockdown. Uh, borders, of course, still closed in most states and territories. And the signs are they might stay that way for a while yet. I've been very careful not to get too far ahead uh, on what might happen in December or March. Of course, we've extended out JobKeeper out to the end of March. But I think we have to take these issues one step at a time. And if circumstances change, and uh, certainly if they change in the way we hope they would, uh, well, I, I, I would welcome it if, if by Christmas, if it were possible, but I think it's unlikely. PK, was the Prime Minister really telling us to get used to the idea of borders being closed till Christmas? That's a pretty depressing message to lob into the middle of Victoria in particular at the moment, isn't it? It is depressing, but he's being a realist and looking at the trajectory we're on, particularly in Victoria. And just to say we're recording this on a Thursday morning, we've finally had some numbers in the 200s on this Thursday, which we're excited about. And now I know yeah. that's ridiculous that we're excited about that, because if you told me a couple of months ago, there would be no happiness about numbers like that for new coronavirus infections. But we are turning the corner. Going back to your question, Fran, in relation to borders and what the Prime Minister was trying to tell us, he is trying to send a message, which I think he's right to do, that this notion that we're going to get to Christmas, Fran, and we're all going to be, you know, barbecues, happy families, let's kiss on, you know, both cheeks and uh, have, uh, you know, like a sausage sausage sizzle and, you know, you know what I mean, all the fun yeah. stuff we do or, or the lamb on the spit, the stuff we do in my world, that's not going to be our Christmas or our summer. That's what he's preparing us for. And if you look at some of the announcements that have been made this week, we'll get to some of the specifics. But for instance, I reckon it's worth raising the Northern Territory and the fact that yeah. Michael Gunner has told us that for 18 months, the Northern Territory border will be closed. That's that's really significant. Now, I know there has been a critique from some, including some in the, in the coalition, saying, hang on a minute, that's an election stunt. That's about positioning. But it doesn't matter because that's what he said. And I think that's possibly likely to happen. And if that it does happen, uh, that's just that's a game changer, isn't it? Queensland's closed off to us. Uh, New South Wales uh, has obviously uh, the border closed in relation to Victoria. And that makes sense, right? Because the Victorian numbers are, are still high. 
will New South Wales open to Victoria by Christmas? Well, we all hope so, but it may not happen. But that's the whole point, isn't it? None of this may happen. Um, and we don't know whether any of it's going to make sense. I mean, at the moment, to me, it doesn't make sense, the Northern Territory Chief Minister saying that, because we don't know what's going to be going on with this virus from week to week, let alone six months to six months, as it doesn't really make sense that Queensland's closed the border to the ACT, which doesn't have any active cases at the moment. So some of these things are happening against the backdrop of state and territory elections because, you know, as the federal government learnt very well and very quickly when they tried to join the or considered joining Clive Palmer in that High Court challenge about the WA state borders, these border closures are wildly popular in state electorates. The people in those states do not want the, quote, Victorian virus to come their way. So they're wildly popular, but we don't know where this will be in six months' time We don't know where it'll be for Christmas. I mean, we had another example of that this week, PK, the um, Federal Tourism Minister, Simon Birmingham. He was sounding really tough, quoted in the nine newspapers, basically warning state and territory governments that they'll have to prop up their local businesses from their own state budgets if they keep borders closed for one day more than necessary, based on the health advice. So that sounded like the Fed's, you know, threatening, you know, muscling up again. Mind you, it took about 30 seconds before the minister was on my radio show <laughs> housing it down because the residents don't like it when the, when the feds poke their nose in. But I, I think the point about the, the politics of this and, and those atmospherics of, of whether the, the different states and the citizens in those states want their, their premiers and their chief ministers to be tough on borders, I think if you're right about Christmas, that could all change because I think people will be a lot less enthusiastic about border closures if they're still in place for Christmas. Fran, you've got family in Melbourne. I've got family in Sydney. We're all hoping to cross those borders and seeing our families at Christmas time. It'll be devastating if we can't. But I think people are equally devastated uh, by the prospect of high deaths or, or the spread of this virus. But I do think it's worth reflecting, you know, political podcast, the politics here. Let's not forget, it was the Prime Minister and senior ministers that for months, for months, made the argument that state border closures were not the advice of the authorities, Mm. was not the idea behind their thinking. They did not think it was a good idea. There has been a big shift now from the federal government on this. They've really walked that back because of what you said. They have been popular you, you, you only have to look at the numbers. They've been successful, okay? They have genuinely been successful. I too am troubled by the idea of saying for 18 months this is going to be the case. But equally, you can understand why constituents, like why voters, feel like if they are in an economy. For instance, I spoke to a senior coalition uh, minister today who said even though, you know, we were opposed to these state border closures in WA, look at their free movement. There has been a big shift, Fran, because they've realised that even though it's messy in a, in a country that should be, you know, working uh, as one, it's been an effective tool to try and control this virus. And that's why us poor Victorians are kind of sitting here going, oh, look at me, look at me. That's all true. And you're right, the WA economy seems to be ticking along quite nicely and West Australians are travelling around about. So the tourism industry there is being um, supported by locals, but they are doing that with an awful lot of Commonwealth support still at the same time. So, you know, if there came a point where the feds did get sick of this, thought that the health advice didn't warrant those closures, we've already seen this comments from Simon Birmingham saying, well, the state governments might have to just start using their own money to be supporting their local businesses. And I do 
note, I don't know if you think this is, is a fair political observation, but I do note the feds are a lot more critical of the Queensland uh, state border closures, that's a Labor state, the WA state border closures, that's a Labor state, the Northern Territory border closures, that's a Labor government, and not so much, we don't hear so much about the Tasmanian closures, you know, it's a Liberal state, the South Australian ones. I think there's a bit of politicking going on all around, nevertheless, just as, as much as they can get away with. That's absolutely right. I think that's that's the case. But I think now that they've changed their view on state borders, and they have, I mean, if you saw that Matthias Corman interview about a week ago, uh, he was asked very directly about that and he was like, oh, yes, okay. <laughs> like, mm. they've, they've really changed their view on it. Um, well, they got hammered. They got hammered. (laughs) And again, look at the politics and the actual numbers. Look at the numbers coming out. I mean, that's that's a big thing. Look, I think the Victorian outbreak, you're right, has been the game changer here. It's changed everything. And when we look at borders, there have been some silly examples. I just want to go to this before we bring in our guest. Look at the ridiculous situation those poor ACT Canberran residents were in, (laughs) right? Ridiculous is an understatement. So stupid where they were stuck at the border and couldn't get home. A three-hour drive, they could have driven straight home, straight into their homes, uh, you know, not infecting anyone. I don't know. Like, but they were stopped because of this bizarre situation. I mean, the ACT kind of being a territory and needing, obviously, you need to get through New South Wales to get to the ACT because of the way it works. And now it's been overturned, but it, it was a bureaucratic bungle as far as I can see. It was stupid that they were stuck in that situation. Now they're on their way home as we record this, some of them, and, and that's great. I've spoken to a couple of them. I want them to get get home. They're good people. They just want to go home. They were told they should go to Melbourne and then come back to the ACT. I mean, where they'd be subjected possibly to infection. Uh, just insane, Fran. And that no, was one of the was examples insane. of the insanity. That's an example, PK, of the more we have these border closures, the longer they go on, there's going to be mistakes made. People are going to get tired. They're going to get, you know, kind of overwrought with um, exemptions here and there. And stupid things like this more and more are going to happen. And that's going to be a problem. It's certainly going to be a problem. Fran, let's bring our guest in. Let's do it. <laughs> Raf Epstein is the host of Drive on ABC Radio Melbourne. He's our guest in the party room. He's the voice that you often hear in the Dan Andrews press conferences. And I go, <laughs> great, Raf's there for the journalists of Australia. How are you, Raf? I am good. I have the benefit of not having dulcet tones, but as my children say, voice like a buzzsaw. That's uh, it. So it grates through. through. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. it. I love it on the couch when I hear that. Um, Raf, it's been another terrible week, including the three deadliest days of this pandemic so far for Victoria. You're getting calls on your radio program every single day. What are people, what are Victorians telling you? And is, is their mood changing? Are they angry? Are they anxious? Are they into blame? Are they wanting to blame? What's the, what's the mood? Uh, well, in short, all of the above. I mean, look, for people who aren't in Melbourne, I think PK understands this, it nerves are frayed, uh, the emotions are raw, uh, the temperature is rising. It's very, it's really hard living in Melbourne at the moment. It's not, it's not a war. Um, it's not as though the bushfire is right outside my front door, but it does feel like that. So you get, there are people who are red hot, livid with anger at Dan Andrews. We can get into the hotel quarantine stuff. Um, there's a lot to be angry about. Uh, and there is a furious blowback 
whenever you raise hotel quarantine, people Ooh. want to be, you know, we're all going to be on one page. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, the sum I get up that is, on my show, Raph. Whenever there's a criticism of it, people say, don't yep. politicise yep. this, don't blame yep. Victoria. You know, it's very strong. But can I just add one thing in? I have never had so many conversations with people whose mum and dad and uncle are in aged care and they're living through hell. So it's just, mm. you know... We, this, it's really tough stuff. All right, so let's go there because we're not afraid to. That's our job. So I think it's really 100%. key. It's our job to scrutinise and to ask the questions. And you've been doing it, Raf. so hats off to you because I think it's a really important part of the democratic process and we should fiercely defend it. Hotel quarantine, it's a, it was a fiasco, it was a bungle and it has serious consequences. Yes. It's led to most of these thousands of infections in Victoria right now. We all, know that. All. all. Actually, they're saying all, all, but okay, there's still an inquiry. There's a judicial inquiry. There's also a parliamentary inquiry going on that's focused on why Victoria used private security firms for the hotel quarantine system and not the Australian Defence Force or police. And this week it's really blown up because the federal government has released a statement or the Defence Minister, Linda Reynolds, saying, yes, the ADF was offered to help Victoria. Mm. Walk us through it. Who's <laughs> right in this debacle? What do we know? Uh, it was a fiasco. I think it was probably excusable that in March, with only 36 hours to set it up, it was a bit of a fiasco. There's two curious things, though. Um, why didn't they, at some stage set up a really central command and control structure. That Victorian State Parliamentary Inquiry done through the pain of Zoom and the agony of people not being able to mute and then swearing when they should have been on mute, <laughs> it really reveals some really simple things. Firstly, it's clear the ADF could have been used. Of course. Right. Did the Premier lie? Whatever. Leave the politicians to fight about that. Big question. Would it have made a difference if the ADF were there? Now, we've got a few examples. Um, probably probably the bigger thing that would have made a difference is having police officers there. Martin Pakula, who's one of the clueiest people, his department He's raised... He's a minister, can I say, in the Victorian in state In the Victorian government, government uh, minister for jobs and something else, complicated precincts, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But he said that people in his department raised very soon, in the early days, hey, we need police. Now, yep. the most important thing is... What's the training? I don't care what your uniform is, but who's telling that guard how to use a glove, how to use PPE, what is infection control? At the same time, it's really clear. If the police are there, your security guard is more likely to act like a junior police officer. And if police are there, there's more discipline. They weren't used. But the, the fight about the ADF is relevant politically. I think the most important thing relevant to, hey, we're in the middle of a pandemic, how do we get out of this? It took them a long time to have a centralised command and control structure. Do they now? Here's Daniel Andrews addressing that parliamentary committee. Here he is. I'm glad you mentioned the use of ADF. I don't believe ADF support was on offer. And ADF support has been provided in very limited circumstances in New South Wales, not to provide security as such, but to provide transportation from uh, the airport to, to hotels. So, again, I think it is fundamentally incorrect to assert that there was uh, hundreds of ADF staff on offer and somehow someone said no. Now, this line from Daniel Andrews has infuriated 
the federal government. And I say that with absolute confidence, not only because Linda Reynolds put out that release, Raf, although that was key. She's the defence minister saying, you know, contradicting, contradicting him. But I've spoken to many senior people in the, the Morrison government who say this needs to be called out. This was clearly on offer and he has gone on the record and said uh, something very different. So gloves, gloves are off on this one because this is seen as a fundamentally key part of this, not just some politics part, but actually on fact, Raf. Yes. And I think uh, the Premier was not 100% Accurate, but he wasn't 100% inaccurate either. I think what's really interesting, if we get sort of very pointy-head political analyst about it, not only did the Premier defending those comments say, oh, well, I don't really care what a Defence Minister says, he actually used words along the lines of, what matters is the conversation I have with the Prime Minister. Mm. So it was this real implication, everyone else is playing politics, me and Scott Morrison, or Scott Morrison and I, we're the people who are dealing with the pandemic. We're not interested in politics. We're interested in the pandemic. So, yes, federal government people are furious. Yep. I, that's true. The higher you go up the tree, the closer you get to the prime minister, the more they include caveats in their conversations oh, yeah. where they say, this isn't partisan. I mm. just want to beat this thing. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think there is no doubt that Scott Morrison signed off on the Linda Reynolds yes. statement. There's no way she would have put that out yes. without the Prime Minister saying yes. So although publicly he doesn't really want to you know, slug it out with Dan Andrews and they're keeping that facade, and I think more than a facade of you know, close communication mm. and generally united sort of efforts going. But they can do um, both, can't they? They can do both, but I think PK is right that this was a line in the sand. They thought Dan Andrews was uh, not speaking the truth and they mm. therefore couldn't just let that go. So they've stepped in. The whole thing here is this where we'll get to presumably when we have the Coates inquiry into hotel quarantine is what actually what actually difference did it make not having the ADF? What's wrong here and what is wrong we're finding out even from this parliamentary inquiry is the lack of coordination. Yeah. We've got, you know, one minister saying it's the other minister, the other minister saying, well, it was the bureaucrats um, and still it's not quite clear who was making the decisions but what is clear is that those security guards, they might have been able to guard the corridors but they didn't know how to use PPE no. <laughs> and, and they didn't really know what the rules are of where people could come out of their rooms or not. And you're, I think you're absolutely 100% right that was if there was a police person in that corridor too, then things would have been a lot and sharper. It's also not um, – so a few things. Firstly, on the practical, on-the-ground reality, it could have been possible to have private security yeah, and get them no to problem. do the job well. Um, the real issue, I think, you don't have one person in charge. This has not been run like a bushfire. This is not being run like a public health campaign. Mm. Um, I think the really solid criticism of Dan Andrews, I don't think the ADF question is so central. I know the federal government do and the Liberal Party do, and that's for them to judge. This is not a fully transparent public health campaign. This is a fight against a pandemic that is almost always seen through a public health lens, but it's also seen through a political lens. I think that slows things down. I think that stops them engaging with the community. So I do find, and I think a lot of my listeners find, the obsession with who did what when in the hotel quarantine sometimes is a bit pointless. The number one issue now is what are we doing and are we engaging with the person who comes from Vietnam to work in a chicken factory and they don't know enough about infection control Mm. while they're working, Mm. giving me the essential food that I need. There is a connection between the hotels in March and what's going on right now. A lot of the political argy-bargy ignores that. At the same time, 
not all the political questions are unimportant. And can I just also say, there's a hell of a lot of blame to go around. Most of the people are dying in homes funded by the federal government okay. with rules set by the federal government. So if yeah, everyone exactly. wants to start finger pointing, um, like you can... <laughs> Where do you stop? Uh, I'm glad you've gone there because that's exactly where I was about to go, Raf, because I think it's really important discussion. And that is, you're talking about age, aged care yeah. here and the devastating situation we're seeing, the outbreak in aged care in Victoria, the death toll is just abhorrent. How could we allow this to happen? And yet, as you say, Raf, this was a federal responsibility. Now, the feds will say, hang on a minute, the outbreak happened because of hotel quarantine. Well, that doesn't mean you shouldn't have your, you know, everything prepared to deal with an outbreak like that. Now, we have seen a plan. We were talking about it in last week's podcast. But what we've seen this week, I'd love you to reflect on, which is the Aged Care Royal Commission, some some really important questions yes. and revelations in relation to whether the COVID-19 plan was ready to go. Was it? Right, was it? Was no. it a guideline yep. or a plan? I think you and Fran are probably uh, more across that detail. Every time I think I come onto the party room, I end up pointing out uh, very depressingly some really system-wide failures. So forgive me for going there again, but a plague is a deep, dark, truthful mirror. It is holding up a reflection to uh, our society of what we are really like. And let's make, you know, let's talk plainly. Poor people are making poor decisions. We rely on those poor people as security guards and to look after the most vulnerable people in our community, the elderly. Mm. We haven't cared about it enough. Both governments have got reports gathering dust. They've done nothing about aged care. Why is there no rule to say you have to have a nurse? The state government in Victoria has a report gathering dust saying the private security industry is hopeless. It's compromised by its casual and insecure nature. Both systems reflexively relied on the people with the least ability to not go to work. And can I just, can I tell you this now? This is information I got the morning we recorded this podcast. There are still people working across aged care sector, across different settings. There are still people going to work in aged care with a cold. They've got a runny nose for three days before they are stopped from being in an aged care wow. home. That mm. is still happening. Let's point fingers. Sure, some of that's important, but that should be the number one focus for Scott Morrison and Dan Andrews. We are not going to get from, maybe we'll get to 200 cases a day in Melbourne. We're not going to get from 200 a day to none until we focus on people who don't earn much money forced to go to work with a runny nose. They're still doing and this. And this is where, you're exactly right, and this is where, as, as we mentioned last week, the federal government responsibility came in. They were too slow to this. Yep. They didn't bring in the pandemic lead that leave that nope. we've seen from overseas, one of the major reasons for the transmission in aged care home and the deaths in aged care home, because that's what we're talking about, yes. was the fact that workers were going from home to home to make up their money because their wages are so low, yep. they, can't, they don't have full-time salaries and they need to, they're casual, they need to work across homes. We knew that. There isn't a plan. I mean, yes, no. the federal government, you know, sort of pushed their way into this Royal Commission hearing this week to say, look, there was a plan, that's not true. Mm. There was a health plan for the pandemic, mm, but there was not a step-by-step -step plan for the aged care communities. There was was a survey 
that was a phone survey to the aged care providers. Are you ready? Yes. 99% of them said yes. Well, surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, they they (laughs) self-reported that they were ready. Yeah. This was just not rigorous enough. And I spoke with one aged care provider in Queensland this week who've done an exceptional job. They had a plan. Yeah. They have what's called the Bible. It's, it's a many-page document. It was prepared in February. They, hired a, they spent $10 million. They hired a surge workforce in preparation. They had their teams worked into cohorts. You know, they were all ready to go. They gave that plan to the Aged Care Quality Commission, the regulator. They gave that plan to a whole lot of the other providers but that they didn't, it wasn't implemented. So, you know, this was a dereliction. I don't think there's any doubt about it. There is blame to go around, but the feds can't walk away from this either. And just on the it's still going on thing, mm. <laughs> I spoke to someone, uh, their mum, 94 years old, aged care home on the Sunday of this week that we were recording the podcast. She hadn't been fed by 1.30 in the afternoon. Oh, she yeah. hadn't had her clothes changed for three days. So you've had the experiences in New South Wales. You've had the terrible nightmare of St Basil's in Faulkner Mm. where people were left in soiled sheets. They weren't fed. People who had COVID were mixing with people who were COVID negative. The Prime Minister apologised for that. Brendan Murphy, uh, the new head of the health department, saying that was unacceptable. Still, on Sunday, it was happening again. You have to get the old workforce out because too many of them have the virus. They still haven't worked out how to bring a new workforce in and just feed the people yeah. who are in and an hard. aged care home. It, it, it is hard. It is hard. I mean, this is a pandemic. Hard. It's rolling out. Um, this Queensland provider, for instance, that they they hired a lot of the, the ex-airline um, staff yeah. for those roles, not yes. to do the nursing, but to yeah. do the feeding and some of those other tasks, you know. But yeah. I spoke with Mel Mitchell. She gave evidence at the Royal Commission this week. She's an 85-year-old Melbourne woman. She was chair of ACOS for some years. She's quite the dynamo. She's in an aged care home um, and she's stuck in a room and her comments to that Royal Commission were heartbreaking. But when I spoke to her, she said, yeah, that's the problem. The staff are exhausted. She was quite compassionate towards them. They're exhausted. They're not getting fed till, as you say, later in the morning. You know, they're waiting on all those things because they can't manage themselves. And that is still going on. It's not easy to replace the whole staff of an aged care home. That's true. You make that point. But we could have foreseen some of this. Of course we could have foreseen it. How could you not foresee it? It was the, the people, the senior people working in this area, the people who've been also campaigning for a long time around reform were making these points. And there was, I think, a false sense of complacency after we, you know, smashed the first the first wave, as we like to call it, although I think we're still in the first wave. But, you know, the, the smashed the first period where people were coming back with COVID, were hotel quarantining. And there was a view, I think, they took their foot off the accelerator too, don't you think, Raf? Uh, no, I'll tell you. No, I'll finish my thought yes. and then you, you reflect because I do think this matters. I think there was a view at the federal level because there was such success that, okay, we've closed the borders internationally finally. Uh, we're hotel quarantining. We're really dealing with this issue. It's not really in the community. We're right. And they didn't rightly anticipate that something like hotel quarantining could be bungled or something could go wrong and that it could go through the tower like the towers yeah. like it did in Melbourne and then all of a sudden it's an outbreak they didn't properly think that it would happen there was a false sense that Australia was a winner and we weren't quite winning i think you're you're making too many um, blanket assumptions about the they uh, there are definitely people inside government politicians and public servants who were fully aware of all of the problems, who tried to get 
more done than was done. Um, but I think all I should of be us, specific about they. It could be anyone. Well, I, I, I think mean at, at both the levels. federal level too. Well, I think at, at both. At both. I, I, I don't think there's tons of blame to go around, <laughs> right? Tons. And it's all of us as well. It's the bloke walking past me. Yeah. Fagging away, uh, sipping the takeaway coffee with his face mask down. Am I likely to get the virus from him? No. As a lack of, you know, feeling of solidarity, is that a problem? I mean, it's a plague. All of us thought we were too sophisticated and too wealthy and too clever and we just had lots of things that would help us battle this. Yes, there was some complacency. Um, There's lots of really good, simple ideas that we didn't implement one example, mm. South Korea, working in an aged care home, got to fill in a piece of paper mm. twice a day saying I don't have a cold. At the same time, we really haven't been here before. Um, they are doing their best. I think what this is also exposing is, let's face it, the media and political class are pretty rubbish. There's some absolute... <laughs> the media? Absolutely. There's some absolute garbage getting published. Oh, okay. There's some absolute garbage getting published. And it's highly problematic when it gets published because I want more information from my government's. They then say to me privately, why would I give you more information when you guys are publishing BS every day? Mm. And you know what? They've got a point. There is complete garbage being broadcast and printed every day. I'd hunker down if I was a politician too. I'd view this thing through a political lens and not a public health lens as well. Our systems are not great. And guess what? Human beings, once again, caught out by a plague. Um, I think we all got a bit complacent. And the See, com- you're agreeing yes, with I do, me. I do agree. But it's not as though there <laughs> weren't came people... came around, people. It's not as though there weren't people raising red flags and saying we needed to no, do No, no. They're absolutely uh, yeah. people high up in, in the department working on the pandemic who were. My point is at a political level, there was a sense that, hey, we smashed this thing. It's true. And whoops, whoopsie daisy, daisy do. There it was. It wasn't smashed. Raf, thank you so much for joining us in the party room. Always an honour to be with both of you. I love you, Raf. See ya. Love you both. Well, that's it for the party room. Wasn't Raf an amazing guest? And can I just reveal that Raf did that entire thing, Fran, in his very cool mask. I have to admit that I wear my mask everywhere, absolutely. I'm a true Melbourne girl, but I didn't wear it, so I saved myself. We were distanced, but I saved myself (laughs) because I thought that it would muffle me. But he did it. He's amazing. Hats off to Raf. Hats off to Raf. It didn't slow him down one bit. PK, that's all from us this week. See you next time. See you, Fran. Everyone was looking for Nicola Gobbo, the woman who became known as Lawyer X. The woman at the centre of Victoria's biggest legal scandal. Since going into hiding, the only interview she's done is with the ABC. And now we can tell her full story. People were going to be murdered. She was working both sides of the fence. I will make a point of holding those who did this to account. The Informer, a gripping new season of the hit podcast, Trace. Hear it on the ABC Listen app.